Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Rethink with Revitalist, and this is a special part in that series again. Uh, we're joined with uh, the wonderful Hope Renault, uh, you know, this IOP series we've been doing. I have Katie Walker here, the CEO for Revitalist, and we have a special guest today because Hope's not at her home base. She's actually down in Charleston um, at the Middle Path at Barrier Island, which is partnered with Barrier Island Psych. Ooh, that was a lot. Uh, and she's uh, joined with Catherine Johnson here. So, hey, Catherine, how's it going? Hi, good morning. It's wonderful. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so today we were going to talk about uh, a topic that is everywhere on my LinkedIn feed. Every article I see is around this topic and it's addiction. Addiction, um, not only alcohol use disorder, substance use disorder, um, you know, these things carry across from the mental health side, which we typically deal with, you know, when we're dealing at revitalists with depression, PTSD, et cetera. Um, addiction is always, not always, but a lot of the times could be intertwined with that, you know? And so we have to know what to do in those circumstances, how to deal with that. Um, Katie, you know, what are you seeing there at the clinic? What is some things that, um, that our community partners out there are helping with us to combat addiction, uh, you know, currently with Revitalist? Um, yeah, so it's it's a lot. And that's a good loaded question. You know, I like those. <laughs> so, you know, the piece with addiction is, um, is multifaceted. Um, I think we're moving hopefully into a direction to where there's much more specific aspects that we can actually address. So when you hear the term addiction, right, everybody's like, oh, they're a bad person, right? I mean, we, we turn our backs on people. Most people who are on the streets, they have addictions, you know, that have led to loss of everything. Um, but the piece with addiction, and I think this is the exciting thing about psychedelics and how they're really showing us that addiction works is, you know, there's a certain part of your brain called the lateral habenula. I've talked about that, I think, before on one of our podcasts. Uh, but the lateral habenula is your, your positive reward center. Right. So when you have a positive action, you're supposed to have a positive reward. When you have a negative action, you're supposed to have a negative reward. And over time, people who create addictions, that system gets skewed and it gets skewed to where a negative action creates a positive reward. So if you really sat down and spoken to people who have addictions, they feel horrible when they're trying to get sober. They feel horrible about why did I do this? You know, and. But what the reason they did it is because the brain actually it got a positive reward from the negative action, right? So you get dopamine release, whatever neurotransmitters, you know, that are really positive to your brain. So your brain's medicating itself. So the unfortunate part, this is what I always tell people, like when they come to us, if they have a history of addictions or, or whatever else, you know, they, they always feel so bad about it. And, you know, don't judge me, uh, you know, um, or I got kicked out of the ER or, you know, whatever else. And I'm like, listen, I'm not here to judge you. When you start medicating yourself with uppers and downers, it's the same thing that we do with SSRIs and benzos, right? When you start medicating yourself, the system's failed you, you know? So I look at it as when people come to me with addiction pieces, <coughs> excuse me, when they come to me with addiction pieces, it's not them necessarily. It's that we weren't able to meet them in the path when they needed us the most. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, um, you know, that piece. And, and one of the things we brought up kind of before we got started here was 
all of the the partnered groups and things out there that are helping, you know, to combat addiction and especially in protocols and, and treatment types. Um, I know that one of the community partners, Awaken, was uh, one that we're working with at Revitalist to bring uh, their flavor and their study and their uh, idea behind how to treat addiction, especially with ketamine infusion therapy. Um, and it's really interesting because that's what I was telling them before, you know, on LinkedIn, I found all these articles in this past week. Um, and I remember reading in the past about how it, at University College London, they did this great study and they had uh, people come in who were uh, alcohol use disorder. And so they were like, okay, we have them come in. We're going to actually open. And, and they put this all in the study. It was pretty wild. They opened a beer in front of them. They pour it in a glass. They set it in front of them, you know, and they know these people have a problem, you know, and they're what they're trying to do is rile up some emotion they were trying to do. And they were doing this really specific type of therapy where they're doing memory retrieval. And so they're doing that. And they actually only did one single infusion with ketamine. And then got these pretty substantial results where they had, you know, maybe 50% or 60, but I'll have to look at the numbers, but they had a, a pretty significant over like an eight month period reduction in, you know, that first day to drink or, you know, what they were looking at. Um, and I know Awakens is kind of similar. So was there, are there similarities in that? Are there memory retrieval techniques or is it more of a, of a standard uh, treatment protocol? So they've created a standard treatment protocol. Uh, yeah, so Awakens in London, they're associated with the University of Exeter. It's where they've done most of their studies. Um, you know, but basically, you know, and this is my personal opinion, and I know a lot of people in the addiction space may get frustrated with this, but uh, my personal opinion is that people who have addictions, they're not wired differently. It's that an emotion got attached to an object. So, you know, it's a, it could be a repressed emotion or whatever else, but they have an emotional connection to an object and that's how they learn to, you know, really compensate. And that becomes their default mode network, right? Because the, you, you see this, the default mode network is going to be hugely popular um, with all of this because it's, it's what your brain knows, right? So as people are going through this, they can't break that emotional connection to the object. And that's the only thing that gives them some type of relief. And, you know, it's the same way. So when you have addicting substances, you always need more, except with psychedelics, because those are a little bit different. They work on receptors differently. So, you know, as you as they take substances, as they drink alcohol, all these things, they're doing that. That's the emotional connection they have with the object. If you've spoken to people who are in active addiction or who are in recovery, when you start an active addiction, you stop making normal emotions. You stop. So when you get off that substance, people will feel this overwhelming sense of something and they don't know what it is. And what it is, it's, it's actually emotions that are starting to come to the surface. So it can be very, very triggering because when those people felt that initially, they started doing a substance to make it go away. And that's and so so you've got to get them past that crutch. And that's the beautiful thing about psychedelics and ketamine is it helps them to get past that crutch because it, de it, it you know, it uh, detaches the emotion from the object. So they're able to talk about the beer. They're able to talk about the cocaine or the lore tabs or whatever they want to talk about. But they lose that emotional connection. And that's what gives them their power back. You know, I had somebody um, she was sober. And this is this drives me crazy. Um, what drives me crazy is people that are sober. In society, we look at people that are sober as, oh, well, did you beat it? 
you good job. You have beat this. They're still struggling with the same underlying conditions that caused the itch in the first place. And but we overlook it because they're not using anymore. So they must be better. But these people are living in horrible anxiety and horrible depression. They, they feel horrible about coming to get ketamine infusions because they're like, well, I don't want to fall off the wagon, you know, by getting ketamine. And I'm like, no, this is a medical intervention. So if you want to look at it that way, then I don't you cannot have surgery ever again. Because, you know, with the anesthesia piece, people who are sober, they would come to me. They're like, no, don't give me any narcotics. Like, All right, that's cool. I'm going to give you any narcotics. But the fact of the matter, everything that would get them to put to sleep, <laughs> they're all of the same class or a similar class of not narcotics necessarily, but it's the same. They're the same addicting substances. So it's, it's just such a closed mindset to where, you know, people who are sober, they're the ones who should be seeking out psychedelics in a controlled environment, as well as ketamine uh, with the appropriate interventions with coaching or therapy or IOP like they have in South Carolina, because you've got to detach it and you they've become so emotionally connected. They have no idea where to begin. And it's such a strong emotional connection. I mean, think about the people on the streets. They've given up everything, their family, their kids, their clothes, their food. Because they just need to get that one hit because that's the only thing that gives them peace, even if it's for a second. And I don't know if you all know this with cocaine. Cocaine's amazing to me. It's in the, you know, unfortunately, it's an amazing drug to, to really study. <laughs> but yeah, you have to be careful about how you phrase that one. <laughs> yeah, right. So you all know, uh, cocaine, when you do cocaine, it gives you like a 0 0.02 second burst of blood supply to your brain, mm -hmm. right? 0 0.02, all you get. And it depletes your catecholamines. So your natural catecholamines, your epinephrine, your dopamine, um, your norepinephrine, those get depleted for three months, three months after one hit. So in anesthesia, you get to find out how good you really are when you have somebody who's done cocaine within the last three months because <laughs> you put them... They have no blood pressure. It's gone. It's gone. Like you're, you, you've got them on like six drips trying to increase their catecholamines to even have a blood pressure. So, you know, so that's what people need to hear before they go. And they're like, oh, I wonder what cocaine feels like. You know, my, my piece would be, well, it gives you a 0.02 second burst of blood supply, but then it depletes your catecholamines for three months and your brain's going to be chasing that for the next 90 days. So let's really think it through before you even hit that one time. You know, so um, so it's those pieces. Right. So I really hope that society will eventually change the way they look at addiction. It's a lot of coexisting disease with depression and anxiety and, and everything like that. <coughs> but it's people trying to help themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, I you know, that that self-medication aspect, that's what I want to ask you about, Hope. Um, you know, when when people are self-medicating in that way, you know, people will come in and they'll say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better. You know, we'll be treating them maybe with the ketamine infusion therapy or a different type of therapy. And all of a sudden they're saying, hey, I'm feeling a lot better. So I don't feel like I need to drink as much. You know, is that part of that that self-medication? You know, if there's good medicine for them, then they're not going to need the bad medicine or what we consider the bad medicine for them. Right. I mean, I think what Katie was saying was perfect in aligning with dialectical behavior therapy does and the IOP provides for them because they've been disconnected from those emotions. They're rushing in and now how are they going to deal with it? 
And that's what dialectical behavior therapy does. It works with the shame, the guilt, the judgment. We teach you how to put those in different places in your brain. We teach you how to stop that racing thought of ruminating over all the things you wish you shoulda, coulda, woulda done and stop that anxiety of what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day. Am I going to be, I was in a group just the other night and the guy said, am I actually really going to be sober for the rest of my life? Like the anxiety just like shot up on how he was feeling about that. So it's a perfect combination with DBT and the ketamine process and the addiction to all work beautifully together to teach people how to regulate their emotions, how to manage their distress, how to start communicating with their loved ones again, and how to be present in the moment and realize that the control is in the moment right here, right now. And not about, am I going to be sober for the next five years? Is it, am I sober right here, right now? and managing those emotions that way. So Dr. Marsha Linehan, who created DBT, actually talks about three different processes of the clear mind, the clean mind, and the using mind. And we put all of that together to teach clients how to regulate their emotions with this ongoing struggle that they have for sobriety. So it's a powerful it's a powerful combination. I'm telling you, we need all three of them yeah. to be happening. And including the family as part of that process and their support that they get is, is very powerful because sometimes that's a tough discussion to begin with your loved ones that have maybe seen you at your worst. So this is a, a wonderful opportunity for them to open that up, open that conversation up again. Yeah. And then they're, they're, they're followed very um, here in Charleston, followed very closely by Barrier Island Psychiatry. Dr. Alexander and her team are seeing the clients weekly, doing labs, doing all the checkups, you know, making sure that we have both sides communicating clearly um, for the success. And then we bring in the holistic pieces. So the meditation and yoga, art, music, the different therapies. And they've never experienced, you know, in a long time, having fun and connecting with their body, mind, and spirit in this way. So yeah, I could imagine, I could imagine kind of turning inward and looking inward when you don't like yourself or you hate yourself is difficult. Um, and and, yeah, and and (laughs) you don't even want to look in a mirror. So you definitely don't want to close your eyes and live in that space. What are some of those techniques or what are some of the things that, that, you know, uh, the meditation techniques that work specifically for addiction? Um, well, you know, I want to clarify one thing that people think about meditation, like a myth that's still out there, is that people think that meditation is like totally emptying my mind and I'm not going to think about anything. So the one of the most prominent Buddhists uh, during meditation, the longest he could keep a thought out of his head was 15 seconds. And that's a well-trained Buddhist monk who had committed his life to meditation and could only keep it away. So how could we be expected to think meditation is like no thoughts at all? So what meditation and mindfulness is, taking that breath, checking in with your body, and then when a thought comes in, Stepping back and saying, huh, 
look at that thought. Wow, look at how my brain is thinking that. Fascinating. Okay, I'm coming back to my breath and taking another breath and focus. And then another thought comes in and we say, wow, look at, look at what I'm thinking about now. Huh, interesting. Back to the breath. That's what mindfulness is. That's truly what meditation is. And what, as you develop that meditative skill, you start to have a real personal relationship with yourself that is safe. And that you know that you can handle that quietness for a few seconds, reflect on whatever you're learning about yourself, and then coming back to the breath. It's not hard. We can do it all the time if we learn how to stop, breathe, reflect, and choose with our DBT skills. And that process takes us about 20 sessions, 60 hours to teach that. But it's life-changing. And I am very much in support of AA 12 steps. That can be very effective for people. And I also know that there are additional ways to learn to... um, like develop yourself that is not AA and not NA or OA or all of those. And that's where DBT comes in. People want to learn something different instead of and in or in addition to AA. They want something else. Most of the clients who have come to us have been through treatment programs, um, rehabilitations, IOPs before, and it's focused on the 12 step. And they're like, I know it so well, I need to integrate something new and different. And that's where DBT and addiction, Marsha Linehan set it up that it all works beautifully together. And that's where we come in with a different perspective. Very much like what Katie's talking about with ketamine. We've got to open the minds that there's other ways. We're so stuck in our old traditional ways of how to do things, right? Well, so and- I was... To add to that hope with the 12 steps, um, you know, a lot of people don't like 12 steps because they're like, oh, it's too religious. Like, I'm not religious. I'm agnostic. I'm atheist, whatever else. Mm. Right. Um, Do you know that the 12 steps was created from Bill W., of course, um, Mm -hmm. but it was after he did psychedelics. He created AA. Uh -uh. What? I did not know that. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Did you see what he used? Was he... I want to say it was LSD, um, but um, yeah, wow. no, look it up. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, because everybody's like, oh, That's I don't want to do that. Really hey, guys, he just did LSD and then he created AA. Yeah. <laughs> so so to say that like in society, like, oh, well, we know everything. We don't have a clue. Right. And you know, what, what you just said, Hope, it made me think about a mindset change that I had several years ago, because believe it or not, I've always been against the grain my entire life. So I've had to learn how you, to deal with this. You can't come on. I know. It's, it's crazy. But when people used to come to me and tell me something about myself, um, you know, and I would be like, no, you, but no, you're wrong. That's what I didn't mean that. I didn't mean, you know, like I, it was either right or wrong kind of thing, you know. And um, I changed my view. It was when I was a, a nurse, ICU nurse, I believe. But I changed my view to when people would come to me, positive or negative, with a 
some type of opinion they want to give me about myself because it's clearly I, I somehow opened the gates to those. Um, people like to give me opinions about myself. Um, but, you know, but but I changed it instead of having a black and white or right and wrong. I changed it to exactly what you just said about the meditation piece is. How did I give you that impression? So it's not that's that wasn't my intentions. I'm so sorry. You know, it wasn't that it was. My intentions were good, but how did I give you that impression? And I think that's a good way, you know, when you are meditating, when there is a thought that comes in, it doesn't say, hey, you're a bad person. Hey, you're a good person. Hey, you're right. Hey, you're wrong. Oh, they're wrong. You know, it doesn't take this like blaming piece. It's like when a thought comes in, if we can step back and be like, okay, wait a minute. Am I thinking about this correctly? Because I'm all about analyzation. I love comprehensive analyzation. But you have to be careful because people with trauma, you all know this, people with trauma, they have catastrophic analyzation, right? So everything's always negative to be a protection mode. But if there's a way that we can have a thought process that comes in and then we're able to step back in that meditative sense and say, well, I don't know. Am I thinking about that correctly? Was I emotionally engaged in that situation? Because is it a situation of higher stress to where, you know, it's normal to be emotionally engaged at that time? But it's like, that's what ketamine and psychedelics do is they medically induce the brain to get to a meditative state to where you can have more comprehensive analyzation without having that emotional connection that's leading it. Um, so yeah, you, I mean, when you, when you mentioned that with meditation, it's, that's the piece of it. And you know, the piece of it too, I'm going to get this wrong. Um, I think it's, I think it's, it's either DMT or GHB um, that our brain produces. It's the strongest hallucinogenic um, out there, but our DMT brain naturally. in your pineal gland, DMT, in your pineal okay. gland, DMT. Yep. So um, our brain naturally produces DMT, right? So it's the strongest mm -hmm. hallucinogenic in the world. And here's our brain, right? Just naturally producing it. They've actually proven that people who effectively meditate, they produce more DMT than people who don't, hmm. yeah, which is interesting because I, I had a thought process the other day about disassociation, which were like, oh, you got PTSD, you disassociate, disassociating. Oh, we can't treat you. Oh, you're really bad. But I was thinking about it. What happens when you go to sleep at nighttime? You know, you get into a meditative state. And do you not disassociate? from the daytime to move into the sleep time. Oh yeah. That's super interesting. That, that whole DMT thing too is really interesting because where it's found in your pineal gland, we still have no idea why it's sitting in there other than, you know, some people had some theories about when you, when you die, you know, that whole, that near death experience that people have that are revived, they think that that is released at that time point to kind of relax you into that, into that space. Um, but it's really interesting that DMT, just like you said, you know, it is in there um, and it is one of those substances that DMT now is actually used clinically. You know, they actually have some studies that are looking into um, its use for treating, you know, really severe depression or, or PTSD. Um, but its use is interesting compared to ketamine because we have these, you know, long sustained periods with ketamine where we can be infusing somebody and, you know, this this treatment, the dissociation kind of occurs over that period with DMT. The second you give that to somebody, it's about a, you know, 15 minute here and back kind of quick thing. 
but people say, you know, I went to Pluto and came back and I talked to an alien and, you know, I mean, it's these really fantastical trips that they go on um, compared to, you know, ketamine where, you know, maybe they in their head, they kind of close their eyes and it, it is more meditative to me. That's kind of how I interpret it is that, you know, they're like, Hey, I talked with a loved one or maybe something happened, but they're not saying the loved one was there in the room with them. Right. You know, it's just more of like an internal conversation that their brain kind of reaches. So it's interesting to see these super powerful hallucinogenic type substances versus, you know, something pretty mild comparatively like ketamine. And then still getting pretty similar results, though, in, in, you know, depression relief or things like that. Why such a vast difference in those that's occurring? I mean, that, you know, the debate's still out on that, but it's pretty interesting. So um, Hope, you had something? Well, I was just thinking uh, when we're thinking about these conversations that we have with ourselves and how difficult that can be, you know, we're all really walking alone inside these bodies, aren't we? I mean, we may be married, we may have partners, children, you know, family members, but we're really walking around by ourselves, with ourselves, in our minds, saying things to ourselves that increase the shame and guilt feelings. Judging ourselves, judging, like, sometimes I ask the clients, like, if you were to say what you think about yourself to a friend, would they still be your friend? <laughs> I don't think so. So how do we develop that friendships with ourselves? And meditation helps to do that because we have an opportunity to be reflective and to think about ourselves and to really develop that relationship. And that is really uncomfortable for a lot of people. Going back to Katie's early conversation, uh, um, communication about, you know, how they got attracted to using substances to begin with. And so we're just really trying to rebuild the person, stop them making garbage, stop making bad situations worse, learn how to regulate, you know, get the support, continue, um, you know, if they are into the 12 step or not support that. We believe in, you know, people making decisions for themselves and in terms of their treatment but just really encouraging them to reconnect with themselves in a whole new way. And the ketamine helps them do that. The DBT helps them do that. You know, following up with their doctors, counselors, it's, it's a IOP and ketamine. That is just the launch. Like that's not the end. It's the launch. We still got a lot of work to do. They've been using substances for a long time. We yeah. got to rebuild all of that. And it takes time, effort, support, and great treatment. So, and, and, you know, and one thing I'll add to that with the psilocybin and ketamine piece, and I'm not sure about the other psychedelics, but just those two is um, with the default mode network, right. To where it's been changed to, cause I, I'm sure you've talked to people, which I've always been confused on this when people are like, I go out exercise and you know what I do? I cry, I cry afterwards. And I'm like, Oh, you know, but, but that's a positive, a positive reward or a positive active <laughs> negative reward. Uh, but, you know, with ketamine and psilocybin, those change the default mode network to where it goes positive to positive, like pretty darn quickly. So I had this lady one time and uh, and we got to think about addictions, anything. It's food, it's sex, it's drugs, it's whatever. So she, her depression was doing really well. 
And I'm sitting there, you know, taking all this in. And I was like, oh, great. And she's like, and you know what? It's not doing well. I stopped smoking. And I was like, you did? That's fantastic. And she's like, no, it's not. She had smoked two packs of cigarettes a day times 40 years. And she said, every time I go to smoke a cigarette, I throw up. Mm. So the brain knew it was a negative to a negative, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing. So I've had people who have used substances and, and I, and I'm always smiling about it. I'm sure they want to like punch me in the face, <laughs> but, um, but you know, but they're like, they're like, I went to use, I went to take a drink and you know what happened? I got sick and I couldn't do it. And I'm like, that is amazing. You know, so, so just like that, ketamine and psilocybin are changing the default mode network. Now, the only thing that we have to teach them, well, you know, that's a, <laughs> the only, the only, the only thing we have to teach them is exactly what you just said, how to live in the present, because we avoid it like the plague, you know, and it's just like, just sit there, just sit there with yourself. You're doing it all the time. Like stop trying to, you know, completely avoid it. We teach them to live in the present and then we teach them skills like go lay in the grass and stare at the sky. It'll be okay. You know, but there's these simple things in life. And, I, and that's one thing that's beautiful about children is they keep it so simple. You know, and it's like, go back to your childlike state to where you could giggle or you could dance or you could just lay there or like stick your finger in your nose, you know, whatever else. I mean, this is most simple things that give that sense of joy. And we've lost that. Like as we grow up in life, we lose the sense of joy and we it just gets so overwhelmed with everything that we're supposed to do. But if there's a way that we can live life in a joyful state, don't have to be happy, you know, right. I mean, but yeah. it's, it's joy. And content. We even talk about, we just talk about being content. Like happiness is overrated. Like let's just work on being content. But it's interesting in DBT, we talk about the child's mind, just like Katie said, approaching everything as if you were a child experiencing it for the first time. If we could get back to that level of functioning in the moment, the present for the first time, it's so much easier to live. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to happen to us. This is life. There's pain in life, but we don't need to have suffering and be miserable there are ways through that with ketamine, with DBT, with other interventions. We don't have to suffer and be miserable. Suicide is preventable. This is Suicide Awareness Month. I know we were talking about it last, but suicide is preventable. You know, it was interesting, Katie. I had a person uh, come into the Jacksonville Clinic and they were talking, um, you know, with Nick about uh, their treatment and, and, you know, that they weren't really religious. So they didn't have any of that to fall back on. They didn't really have any, they, they were seeing a therapist, but they didn't feel like that was working for them. And he was an avid reader and was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go about this, the philosophical path and read every philosophy book I can out there. Right. And so he got really into the dark side of philosophy, right? He's reading like Nietzsche and stuff and, you know, nothing matters. My life doesn't matter. I'm going to end it because it's nothing matters. Right. Um, and then, you know, when, when we started talking to him about it, 
we're like, okay, here's a couple other books to check out. You know, here's, here's people that live in that same realm that maybe were even a student of him. There's a great book called the myth of Sisyphus that I'll, I tell everybody about because, uh, you know, Camus, when he wrote that book was like, yep, the world doesn't matter. You're floating on a giant rock that's going through outer space at a million miles an hour. You know, it could crash into anything at any time, but that's freeing live your life because it could end at any moment, have, enjoy it, you know, enjoy the people around you, enjoy this. And, and it takes that whole nihilistic approach and flips it on its head. I think it's important to have those types of resources for people that are, or, or think that they are a religious or, you know, not around those categories. We have to, you know, meet people where they're at. You know, that's, that's my biggest philosophy with, uh, you know, with, all these treatment protocols. Do, do you guys agree with that? Is that something that you guys deal with when you when you have patients come into the middle path? Do you have people that are pretty agnostic or, you know? Absolutely. And I agree. There's not a one size fits all. Um, I think we found through the years that those are very ineffective and they don't mean anything to the client. And if you're not having, you know, a meaningful treatment plan that's speaking to you and your lifestyle and your belief system, it's not going to be something that you will stay with for very long. So absolutely, we have to meet people where we are, where they are and support them right here, right now, before we can take them anywhere else. And we call it self-determination too, because when you're working with clients, it's so hard because you're, you're seeing something that could be effective for them and then they choose not to pick it up, you know, whether it's, you know, ketamine or coming to the IOP or, you know, other treatments. And you're like, oh, I know this could work, but self-determination, we have to let the client make choices for themselves. And we see a lot of people have to hit bottom. We've all heard that rock bottom term. Mm. Um, and that's so. Is that true? Is that, is that really, you know, that everybody has we to hit that bottom? We don't think so. <laughs> we don't, I, I mean, yeah. hit bottom, but. But right. that is often, I don't know what you think, you know, but I've I, heard that though. Yeah. I mean, you hear it in TV and movies to, and everywhere, you know, but I, um, there's a little, a two second little story. So little froggy was jumping along the road and he fell into a ditch and all his little frog friends came along and they're like, come on, let's help get you out of this ditch. Let's help get you out of this ditch. And they pushed and they pulled and they tried to get him out and he couldn't get out. The next morning they came by and little Froggy was on top of the road jumping around. And they said, Froggy, we tried to get you out of the ditch yesterday. How'd you do it? And he said, well, a big truck came along and I had to get out. <laughs> You're right. I think it's self-determination, Hope. I th I, and I think it's showing up. It's showing up even when you don't want to. Yeah. You know, and, and that's something that I've had a, people bust at me a little bit over is, you know, with depression. Uh, when people, they're like, literally, they can't get out of bed. And my piece is, you know, people are depressed in the military. You know, they are. What, does depression go away? No. And they still get out of bed. It's self-determination. They get themselves up and out and they don't quit. And they don't rely on to say, oh, well, I have depression. I can't get out of bed. It's like, no, show up, get up, show up and, you know, and pull your head out of your tail. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and move forward. You know, and unfortunately, people don't always like my motivational speaks when I talk to them like that. But, you know, but it's a loving and a caring piece on like a coach per se, like don't feel sorry for yourself um, because once you start feeling sorry for yourself, it's over. 
right? That's your self-deprecating mode to where you just create this cycle. Woe is me. And then you start feeding into that negative loop. And the last thing that you need is to say, you know, I can't do this because you can voice. And the only thing you have to do is take one foot forward and, and try, you know, and are you going to fail the first time? You might, but then you try again. And that's it. Somebody, you know, told me like, what's the difference between people who succeed and don't succeed? They get up the next day, you know? So it's those little pieces that just mean so much and people just don't, they just don't understand the capacity of it um, as how, how strong it is. You know, and you're right on the, for the IOP side, sometimes we just say, just show up, come to group. Like on the days that you really don't want to come to group, those are the days you have got to be there Mm -hmm. because there's some gem that you're going to hear that's going to get you there. But showing up, get up out of bed. In fact, we tell clients when you're there in group in the morning, first thing you do, put your shoes on. Walk around your house with your shoes because there's a high chance that you're not going to lay back down in bed <laughs> with your shoes on. Exactly. So get up and put your shoes on. <laughs> Just do that. Get out. I feel like I need bed. to shout out David Goggins. I don't know if you guys have uh, read any David Goggins that can't hurt me. He's the same kind of way. He's a he was a military. Uh, he was a Marine. And that's his whole philosophy is, you know what? You don't want to run today. It's like, put your shoes on. Go for the run, you know, do the thing, move to that next step and you'll learn to like it. You'll learn to, to, to want it. You just <laughs> need to do it. Yeah. It. <laughs> yep. Yep. But awesome. people are well, so well guarded. Go ahead. Sorry. What's that? I'm sorry. Hope. Go ahead. People are so well guarded. You know, they can put on this face and they rely on that face. But what Katie and I are saying is there's, and Catherine, we're saying there's another way. You don't have to suffer anymore. It is out there. We are here for you. Different levels of care. We are here. Reach out. And that's a piece to hope. I love that because, and that's a perfect way to end this podcast is you don't have to suffer in life. Life is meant to be enjoyed and live in a joyful state. And people get in this mindset of, oh, well, I've done something wrong. Or, you know, there's a reason why I'm suffering. No, change your mindset and because you know, address it. Don't be scared of it. Don't be fearful of it. But you deserve to live and you deserve to have a higher purpose than yourself. And that's the beautiful thing about AA. It's not all about you. It's all about living under a higher purpose on whatever team manifestation that may be. Um, but, you know, if you can switch your brain to say, I'm purpose driven then it doesn't become about you and this self-deprecating. It becomes about every time you get up and you can help one person's day be better, then you've done something good for yourself and you've done something good for others. And, you know, and it's, it's all about your mindset. So- and that's all, that's it. That's all DBT. You just listed a bunch of skills. One of our words that we use instead of purpose, but it's same thing, but we say, am I being effective? Am I being effective right now? That's our DBT word, effectiveness, helping other people. Um, those are all skills. And it, when you're super depressed to think about someone else is really, really hard. Like, what do I care? I'm just, I'm, I'm down in this. DBT, the beautiful thing is we teach you exactly how to get out of it step by step. 
So that change that mindset Katie's talking about, you got to learn how to do that. And that's what we teach. And so when people are feeling better on ketamine and then they come and follow up with the IOP piece, I mean, it's, it's just magic. One, two, and then we get them exercising, get it all together, working on the meditation, the holistic piece. I mean, the, when you're in group and you just start seeing people just coming together and it just grows and grows and just gets bigger and bigger. And it's just such a exciting, magical place to be, but. Yeah. Sorry. Awesome. <laughs> well, no, so no, 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 no. That's, that's the, you know, that's what we that love about having you on hope. Yeah. <laughs> the, that's but. what we love about having you on is the passion, you know, right. and, and, and definitely the passion for helping people out there. Um, so, you know, I just want to let everybody know, uh, I'll, I'll give you each a, a second to sign off here, um, that to check out the middle path dot life, uh, is it the same website for the Charleston location too? Or do you have we a separate have site? A, uh, we do have a page on that. Yes. And then also um, middlepathrecovery.com if you're interested in the Charleston area and our sister facility, barrierislandpsychiatry.com. Oh, fantastic. And I, I wanted to let people know too about the unit retreat. Um, just a quick little blurb. We are having veterans uh, go down to uh, as a retreat style trip um, to North Carolina. And then the second part of the trip is actually having them go down to Jamaica uh, for a couple of days to do uh, a really amazing uh, uh, psilocybin therapy with a group called Wake. Um, that's down there with Nick Murray. Uh, that website is unitretreat.org. Make sure to check that out. If you have, uh, if you yourself are a veteran or you know someone that's suffering, um, you know, make sure to check that out. Send them the information uh, about that. Katie, did you have anything that you wanted to share for the end? We're good. I think I'm good. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, this has been Rethink with Revitalist. Uh, thank you again, Catherine, Hope, and Katie for joining me today. Um, this episode's been about addiction. Hopefully, we got some questions answered. If you have any other questions, make sure to leave them below, and, and I'll make sure to get them to Hope uh, and Catherine and, and get you the answers you need. Okay? Thanks. Have a great day.